0: Hey, good morning. Only New Springers would pack out a building on an icy day. You guys are awesome. Um, let me just say a couple things before I get started my talk today. We're starting a series of small meetings called Full Access. Uh, for those of you who might be brand new New Spring, I need to let you know that uh, we are getting ready to double our kids space we're building a building be out here on the north side and if you've been in either one of our services this morning you know why we need to double our kids space because our our kids ministry is just exploding and uh, we're really excited about this. We hope to get started real quickly. Uh, obviously, on Sunday mornings or Saturday evenings, I don't have the time to really flesh out everything that's part of the program. So if you'd like to be part of one of these full access meetings, all you need to do is just sign up. They're scheduled already. They're on the website. Uh, what you need to do is go into our website, and you can put into the address um newspring.org slash full access and then all of the different meetings that are available will pop up and you can be part of one of those. It'll be really great. I'll be talking to you about what the building's going to be like, what we're going to be able to do. We'll actually even walk out if the weather's good on the north side of the building and, and show you the footprint of where our kids' uh, next kids' building is going to be, it will actually double our kids' space. And during that time, I'm going to be doing a series that starts on Easter Sunday. It's called U Times 2. It is the biggest series I've ever done in all my career. <laughs> totally huge. And let me just tell you, I'm going to be doing something different with U Times 2 than, than any series I've ever done before. And that is, uh, we'll actually have a daily journal that will go along with it. So when you come for the weekend, you'll get the next seven uh, devotionals that I'm writing that go right along with the series. So it isn't just something that you'll experience on the weekend, it's something you can experience seven days a week. When, when life is over, we're going to want to know that we made the biggest impact that we could make. We, we, we're excited about going to heaven and all the cool stuff that that involves, but we're going to want to know that we made the biggest difference that we could make. And so the series is called You Times Two Double Your Impact. It starts on Easter weekend. And by the way, on Easter weekend, we have five services. Uh, instead of the normal four. So if you're a a regular New Spring attender and you're really part of what we're doing here and you love this church, and if it's possible for you to move to Saturday evening, that would be a really nice thing to do if you could do that. We have two Saturday evening services, and especially weeks to weekends, really, really important thing. Um, I was really really moved by the song that we had um, before my talk. And I can remember real clearly the first time I ever heard it. The song, My Generation, talks about how that this generation is craving to have something real, craving to have a real relationship with God. It was in June of 2006. I was sitting in a parking lot in Nashville, Tennessee, waiting for a meeting. I'm the kind of person, if I get to a meeting, I have to be there early. So I was there 15, 20 minutes early, just sitting out in the parking lot, going over my notes, and I had radio station playing in the background. And, and the words just started penetrating my mind. And I'm not a real emotional person, but I can remember just sitting out of my car and, and crying and thinking about how hungry and how aching this generation is to have something that's really real. And so today, my talk, is going to be a little different than it normally is. I'm going to be talking about something pretty serious today, and I'm going to be stepping across the line of political correctness. And so for those of you that, you know, um, I, I just struggle sometimes with our culture because it's like as long as God says things that are palatable and culturally acceptable, then we're okay. But if God were to get into some area that we, we shrink back from, then we have problems. But guys, let me just read to you what the Bible says. In Hebrews 4, verse 13, Scripture says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. That's pretty substantial when you think about it. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. So could I just say that to all of us here today that are part of this sometimes beautiful, sometimes scary culture that we live in, that at the end of the day, we're not going to give an account to each other. Uh, God is not going to put his finger up to the wind and see what the political views are at the time. We 're not going to give account to some sort of political poll. we 're not going to give an account to Oprah or Phil or anybody. You're not going to give an account to me, and I'm not going to give an account to you. We're all going to have to go through the checkout lane, and God is the one who holds us accountable. And, and the reason I say that, too, is I think that some people have this concept of God that he's sort of this Uncle Sugar character in the sky that just sort of you all play nice guy and now, nice now and whatever we, want to, whatever we want to do is okay with him. And, and God is a God of mercy. That's true. God is a very merciful God, but God is a serious God, and we're all accountable to him. I want to give my talk today. I had the weekend off last week in between series, and, and I just was, the more I prayed, the more I thought about what I saw as I looked at our country, I just kept getting more and more burdened, and, and I just felt like I had to come bring this talk to you. I have to be honest, it's probably not my favorite talk. I would probably like to talk about something else, in fact, many other things, but I just had this overwhelming sense that as God's leader here in this place, that I need to be real candid about some things that I think that we're all facing. You and I both know we're, we're, we're facing tough economic times. And people are talking about this being the worst economy since the Great Depression. People are talking about the stimulus program and the rescue program. But guys, I want to tell you what. <laughs> Economics is the least of our worries in America today. That's the least of our problems. In fact, can't we look past these economic issues and see that there's some underlying spiritual things? I mean, people are talking about this being the greatest problem, economic problems since the Great Depression. Well, what was the issue with the Great Depression? It was greed. Look at the 20s. And by the way, even for those of us who have been alive for the last two decades, haven't we been on this trolley before? In the early 80s, it was the savings and loan debacle. At the end of the 90s, it was the tech boom and tech bust, or however you want to look at it. And each time, hasn't it been greed? Hasn't it been people trying to make as much money as they can make and then get out before the house collapses? So all I'm asking you, and, and I, I don't have any comment on, on the stimulus program and the rescue program and all that. That's outside my, my area. All I'm asking is, don't we see that there are spiritual issues that underlie all these things? So what are we going to do about them? Typical Americans, you know, will say, well, things ought to be different, or I'm going to listen to talk radio, I'm going to watch television, or I'm going to talk to my friends, and we're going to talk about how bad it is. But is that all we're relegated to doing, or is there a huge difference that we can make? I want to give you, give you a talk today on five things that could rescue America and what you could do about them. And Again, like I said, I'm going to probably get into some politically incorrect areas, but that's not, my, that's not my challenge. My job is to give you the truth. You don't have to believe anything I say. In fact, if you come here to New Spring, you say, well, Mark, I'll listen to you talk. I only believe about half of what you say. First off, I'm glad you believe half, and secondly, I'm just glad you're here. I just want a seat at the table. I'm going to throw this out. One thing I know, I'm an adult. I'm well cognizant of the fact that you walk out of these doors and, and you're going to live your life the way you want to live your life. And I understand that. I respect that. But I hope you respect the fact that I didn't take up this job because I wanted this job. That there was a sovereign God who said to me, this is what I want you to do. And I'm accountable to him. And see, here's the deal. I have a very different accountability than you have. When I stand before God, I'm going to give an account for Mark, just like you have to give an account for yourself. But I'm also going to have to give an account for New Spring Church. And what I said, I have to give an account for every word that I say when I'm on this stage. If you don't think that gets me up at 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes, going over my sermon a few times, you know, you've got a surprise coming because I'll tell you, it makes it's, ser- it's serious to me. Now, before we get to these five things that could rescue America that might just be slightly controversial this morning, I want to take you to a text that caused me to see these things. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and Paul is writing to a young pastor, and he is like coaching him up on what I just talked about, about my responsibility. And he's going to use a term, or he's going to use an expression that might or might not be familiar to you, and that expression is last days. And one thing the Bible teaches us over and over from the Old Testament and especially the New Testament, the Bible tells us it's not going to rock on like this forever. You know, some people have the idea, well, you know, the world we're just going to see how long we can make this thing go. But scripture tells us that's not going to happen. And the Bible talks to us about the last days. In effect, there is a terminal generation. And God has given us substantial prophecy to help us identify those last days there are things like israel becoming a nation again that's a 2500 year old prophecy that was fulfilled in 1948 israel reclaiming the city of jerusalem that again a substantial over, millennia old prophecy that was that came to pass in 1967 so we understand there are a lot of prophetic things that are identifying the fact that we are probably very probably if not definitely in the last generation but now here's what's interesting about our text that we're about to look at paul starts writing timothy and he's saying look there are some evidences of the last generation that are spiritual in nature. In other words, he is saying, Timothy, these are things that are going to happen spiritually in the terminal generation. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Guys, I want to give you five things that can rescue America. They're not from Mark. I just pulled them from the scripture that you and I just read. You saw it. You'll see where they came from. Here's number one. If you want to know what will rescue America today, we need young people who crave wisdom. And I, I realize that some of our, our youth are in other venues right now, but I'm just really pumped about looking out and seeing so many kids and teens and preteens and young adults who are here today. Here's what the Bible says In Proverbs 22, verse 15, the Bible says a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. And that's just the norm. I know mine was. It just means that, and it doesn't mean foolishness like an insult, it just means that when you're young, you really haven't lived enough life to know what's important yet. You just have, you know, some ideas, but you really don't know what's important. That's just life. That's how I was. I think that's how all of us have been. But I just want to say, I don't know that we have time. I think we're in a generation today where young people don't have the time to make mistakes. I make this point because I was reading in in, in an article that probably some of you read this week about a, a kid who passed away at KU, and he had overused alcohol and died. And his dad had been asking for permission to be able to just check up on how he was doing, but because of a particular law and the way the law is interpreted by KU and other universities, he couldn't get the information. And, and I, I don't remember the specifics of the situation, but I guess the kid had been like expelled from one group because of alcohol abuse. And his dad was concerned about him, and, and, and yet just recently they found him dead. And, and it wasn't that broke my heart when I heard that, but what really touched me was there was a line in this particular article that said some students say that they want to take responsibility for their lives and learn from their mistakes. Now, guys, I took Greek when I was in college, but I don't need Greek to interpret that. That simply means leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to learn from them see here's what's happened we've had so many public leaders in america screw so many things up and then they get up and say well i've made mistakes and i'm taking responsibility for my mistakes but what does that actually mean this poor young man at ku what did he learn he learned that abusing alcohol at an extreme level can lead to death but he didn't have the opportunity to to move on from that and to all of our young people here today i am so sorry i mean listen guys for all of you, I look at you young. I wish I could apologize for my generation and a couple of generations after me. This culture has left you little room for mistakes. We have all kinds of problems here today. I, I, you know, I see the same stuff that you see. There's the issues with kids sexting and sending texts of new pictures, and it winds up on, on you know, internet sites. And these kids are like getting, you know, depressed, and some have even committed suicide you've been placed in a generation, if you're young here today, you've been placed in a generation that's almost conspired against you to do you damage. We've left you with a a country that's financially bankrupt, but it can't even begin to compare with the spiritual and moral bankruptcy that you face. And I look at young people today and I think, how how are you going to face it? I'm going to do a series. I've been telling my staff I'm going to do this series for a long time. I've been telling Mary Alice I'm going to do this series for a long time. I'll listen to what's going on. And I keep telling everybody who will listen to me, someday I'm going to do the series to end all series. I'm going to do a series called Freaking Messed Up. (laughs) That will be coming this fall. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. You know, I just, I look at the world, it is so freaking messed up, and I'm wondering, how are you going to find a life partner? How are you going to find a person? that? And so here's the deal. For all of you who are young here today, could I just say this? You have something within your grasp that could change America. In James chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing the world the way God sees it. Wisdom is those things that you... In other words, here's what God is saying. You don't have to suffer to learn. If you ask me, God is saying, I will give you wisdom. And since you're being soaked by debt, all of you young people, with, by your leaders that you'll never be able to pay off, isn't it good to know that what you need most is free? In Daniel chapter 1, there's a story of a man and his three friends who were really special. And here's what the Bible says about Daniel and his three friends. God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in both books and books and life for all of you who are young here today if you're teens or preteens or kids could i just challenge you with that verse daniel 117 that is what you need you need knowledge and skill both in books and in life i've known people who were who were life smart they never went to school they never got the benefit of a great education but they were just life smart by the same token i've known people who had phds who couldn't think their way out of a paper bag But here's what God is saying, get both. Get the best education that you can get and ask God for wisdom. I'm telling you, that's what we, this is why at New Spring kids are more important than anything else around here. Because we understand what, you know, we we just think, would dream what could happen if there was a whole generation of kids, a whole generation of young people who didn't make the mistakes in order to learn from the mistakes, in order to go back and be where they should have been in the first place. What would happen if there was a whole generation of kids who got it from the very beginning? They could transform the world. Wow, I could go on for that, but I've got to go with number two here. Here's the recovery plan, the second thing that needs to happen, people keeping vows. From our culture today, we're suffering a deficit of honor. And we're talking about having an economic deficit. Listen, guys, we have an honor deficit. We have a commitment deficit. People of honor make vows, vows say i'm serious vows say i'm staying vows say i've got skin in the game i know how it is today i hear the same things that you and i hear people say well i'm just keeping it loose in case i want to check out man we're just seeing if we're compatible which means we're sleeping together but we want to we're basically sleeping together as a dating process the bible says in psalm 76 verse 11 make vows to the lord your god and keep them I mean, we used to understand this about marriage. It's what used to make sex great. People didn't get in bed until everybody was on record as being serious. But now, that's gone. And I know, I mean, people will say, well, Mark, that's old-fashioned, man. That's the way things used to be. We've got new rules. We're making it up as it goes. No, we're freaking messed up is what's going on. (laughs) Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, give honor to marriage. That means wait give honor to marriage, and remain faithful to one another in marriage, God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Guys, if you want to, you can take your scissors and cut that out of the Bible, but it'll still be there. It'll still be there. Number three, what we need is to humble ourselves before God. You know, humbling ourselves means that we say to God, Lord, you're the one who is right. You're the one who is sovereign. You're the one who's in control. And like we said at the beginning of the message, it's God to whom we give the account to. Now, I know, here's the deal. I, listen, guys, I'm not, I, wasn't, I was born at night, just not last night. I know I've already lost some of you. I understand that. But at the end of the day, what matters is what God says and how we relate to him. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks about how the world Falls, how the world slips into depravity. And I just want to read to you a little part of this. The Bible says in Romans 1, verse 21, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Now here's the thing. Let me get into a, just, I'm just like dealing with sacred cows today, right? Let's talk about one today. In our culture today, we're taught that really there is no creator, that we just evolved. Now, here's the thing I want to make the point, here's the thing I want to point out. People don't fail to believe in God because of an absence of evidence, Anyone, all anyone has to do is just look at the sophisticated nature of human life, of animal life, of plant life. Anyone who thinks that that came here by accident is really straining the bounds of credibility. I just look at tropical fish. I just saw some yesterday. And I'm thinking, the idea that, that just happened with enough cosmic rolls of the dice that's more faith than I've got. And then beyond that, and it's, it's, it's not just the sophistication of, of life, it's how it interrelates with itself. So here's what God is saying, is that people don't fail to believe in God because it's an absence of evidence. They fail to believe in God because they don't want to believe in God. See, believing in God is a slippery slope. Here's the deal. We'll talk about this someday. If I admit that there is a God, then he must be very big, and if he's that big, then I have to be accountable to him, which means I have to start analyzing the way I live my life. Now, I don't want to analyze the way I live my life, so what I have to do is I have to start backing that out and saying, well, then there is no God. H.G. Wells, the the great writer and the atheist, he put it this way, and I think he's spot-on correct. Wells said, if there's no God, nothing matters. If there's a God, nothing else matters. He's right. But looking at what Scripture says, God says it's not that people don't see the evidence for God. They don't want to see God, and because of that, the lights go out. And here's what the Bible says. Wanting to be wise or or communicating that they are wise, the Greek word there is sophos. We get a word sophisticated from it. Communicating that they are sophos, they become moros. Guess which word we get from that. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. God says that instead of worshiping the creator, they worship the creation. Why is that? There are only two possibilities. And I'm again. I'm, I know I'm getting into sacred territory right now, because guys, trust me. I think you know God teaches us that we're accountable to take care of the world, that we're you know accountable to take care of creation, and and I think green is a fantastic thing. It's a wonderful idea if you can be green. But am I the only one who gets the feeling that that's kind of becoming a religion? It's kind of becoming a pseudo religion. It is a religion that doesn't require any internal evaluation of my character. I mean, I think it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm, hey, listen, find a way to be more efficient, and, you know, take care of the planet, create less pollution. I think it's fantastic. But what I'm starting to hear a little bit is this idea of worshiping the creation instead of the Creator ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you something. America's in deep trouble. Financial issues are not the, not the main thing that we need to be concerned about. We need to be concerned about that morally and spiritually we're going down the tubes. And how do we deal with that? We come back to the place where we humble ourselves before the one who made us. It will do me no good to humble myself before a parrot or a turtle <laughs> or a mountain or a squirrel or a windmill. I mean, I was made by the living God. If I want to see God work in my life, I've got to go back to the place where I humble myself before him. The people, the men, the women who laid out this nation, they understood that. Ben Franklin said, if a sparrow cannot fall from the sky without his notice, how can a great empire hope to rise without his blessing? He was spot on. I got to rush on. Boy, I wish I could talk about this a little more. Number four, churches need to get on message. I'll tell you, (laughs) talk about freaking messed up. How about talking about churches? Churches in the last few years have gotten off into everything except for what God put us here to do. Churches have gotten off into politics. They've gotten off into, you know, programs and, and all kinds of stuff. Let me just tell you something, guys. What God left us here was to good news people into heaven. You know, religions proselytize. What the church does is to give people the good news. You may wonder, if you're a New Springer, why does Mark, at the end of every service, pray and give people a chance to ask Christ to come into their lives? Because that is what we're here, and that's what we're we're all about here. Listen to the way Jesus said it. He said, what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world? And to lose his own soul. I, I was, I was being, you know, having an interview for insurance, and and the lady on the phone asked me, "What's your net worth?" I hadn't anticipated that question. "What's your net worth?" I said, "What do you mean by that?" She said, "Well, you know, it's your assets minus, minus your liabilities." wasn't very much in my case. I can tell you that. <laughs> Jesus is talking about net worth. He's saying, suppose a man or a woman were able to just gain the whole world. I mean, that, would, that just blows the mind. We can't conceive of that. But every piece of real estate would belong to this person. Every car, every house, every business. There would be the title for all those things. Suppose a person could just gain the whole world. He could tell Donald Trump he was fired. I mean, this person could just gain everything. And yet lose his own soul, Jesus said. No net worth. It's a loss. Hey, do you, do you know what, that, do what Jesus is saying? He is saying, you have, you have something within you that's worth more than all the world. That person on the inside of you is never going to die. The shell, the husk, this body that you and I live in, it's going to get old, it's going to die, but not the real you. The real you goes on living forever. Jesus said, Suppose a man could gain everything in the world and yet lose that person and die and go to hell, is what he's talking about. What if he lost that person? Jesus said, be a total loss. Guys, you know what we're supposed to do as a church? What we're about as a church is to tell people that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that anybody, anywhere, no matter what he or she has done, can turn from the old way of life and invite Jesus Christ in and all sins are forgiven and heaven is our home forever. I mean, here's the deal. That is the message. And somebody can say, well, Mark, what's so big about giving people a message? That sounds kind of foolish, did you know that that's exactly what the Bible says about that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says the preaching of the good news seems like foolishness. Why? Because somebody could hear, you know, Jesus, um, 2,000 years ago, a man died for me, and blood came out of his body, and that blood paid for my sins. And if I ask him, he will forgive me. That sounds foolish. How will I be advantaged if I do that? And God says in 1 Corinthians 1, yeah, it sounds foolish. But the second thing God says about it, it is the power of God. There is something about coming to Christ, realizing that you need him, that he died for your sins. At that moment when you believe that message, it unleashes the power of God. How many of us today could talk about being transformed by that moment? And we're not the sharpest knives in the drawer. We still mess up a lot of stuff. But what happened? When Jesus came into our lives, the power of God came in and it switched on the lights. That's what churches are supposed to be about. And churches need to get back to giving that message. Okay, i got to quit. i got five minutes for number five. The fifth thing that could rescue America is for Christ followers to understand their role in the world. Let me read a scripture to you. This is from Jesus in Matthew 5. I'm reading out of the message. Jesus said, let me tell you why you're here. You ever wonder, what am I doing here? If you're a Christ follower, just pay attention. Jesus said, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? And then in verse 14, here's another way to put it. Jesus said, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. Now what Jesus is saying is, if you're a Christ follower, you have basically two functions in this world. You are to be illuminative. In other words, you are to be a light that shines so that people can see what God has done in your life, in my life, And then we're to be a preservative. Again, I know the facts of life. I know that when this message is over, I know the world's pretty much going to be the way it is. I know America's going to be pretty much the way it is. All the bad stuff I've talked about, it's going to go right on. And somebody could be here today and you say, well, Mark, what difference could I make? Suppose I am that young person that asks God for wisdom and says, no, I'm not going to screw things up and make all kinds of mistakes and then try to learn from them. But suppose I'm that one person that says, yeah, I'm going to be different. Suppose I am that man, that woman who says, okay, I'll, I'll be different. What difference would it really make? You ready for this one? Because if I'm talking to some of you and you're the more traditional church crowd like, I, like I, I've been throughout my life, you're going to walk out of here and you say, wow, man, Mark really got after all those bad sinners today. You really misread me if you walk out of here with that. Mark is after us. The final story, the final outcome of what happens with America will not be written by people who don't believe in God. It'll be written by how we live our lives as Christ followers. Because if history proves anything, it proves the fact that God will be extraordinarily merciful if his people will do what they're supposed to do. Let me read to you. The Bible says this we're the, in, in, the, in Scripture. In fact, I'll just, you can read this when you go home. I've got to hustle for time's sake. But in 2 Corinthians 7:14, the Bible says, if we will humble ourselves and pray, then God will hear and he'll turn. Not, not, not people that don't believe in him. If the people who do believe in him, if we will humble ourselves, then God promises to heal our land. What do you think of when you think of the name Sodom and Gomorrah? Some of you say, well, I know they were bad places and God wiped them out. You're right. That's probably about all you need to know. The Bible tells us what their problems were. They were proud people. The Bible says that they had everything they wanted. They, they had fullness of bread is the expression that the Bible uses. It just means that they, had they, were, they weren't really stretching for anything. And they didn't care about people who were hurting. And they were, about every, they were twisted up sexually about as bad as any place could be. And finally God said, had enough, I'm going to wipe them out. There was a problem with that though. In these, in these two wretched places, there was a family of God followers. They weren't in God's will. It's just the dad had decided he wanted to make a lot of money and these were, wealth, these were wealthy cities. And so he, he moved his family into Sodom he was the nephew of Abraham. These good people, God followers, living in Sodom. So God sends a custom angels to, to Abraham to make a courtesy call on, on, on Abraham and basically say that he's going to wipe out these two cities and, and, and just to let Abraham know ahead of time that this is going to happen. And Abraham starts thinking about what you and I are talking about how that oftentimes God is very merciful if, if God's people will do what they're supposed to do. And Abraham said, Lord, man, I hate to see that. Two big cities wiped out. Suppose there are 50 people there who are following you. If, if there are 50, got 50, 50, would that make a difference? And God said, Yeah. If they're 50, I'll leave the two cities alone. Any of you in negotiation? I know some of you are. Abraham's thinking, hmm, I don't want to leave anything on the table here. Um, God, coming back at you here. If they're 45, and God's saying, yeah, yeah, they're 45, I won't touch them. How about 40? And God said, okay, 40. Abraham's been dropping by five each time. Now he decides, let's drop by 10, see what happens here. How about 30? God, if there are 30, 30. And God said, all right, if there are 30 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I won't destroy the cities. God, suppose there are 20, 20. And God said, Yeah, Abraham, if they're 20, I won't destroy the city. Oh God, I don't want to. I've, I've, really I've, I've really tested your patience here, but God, God, it's a big city, it's thousands of people that live there. What if they're 10? He's thinking, surely Lot's got his family on board, his kids their spouses, maybe even had a little influence on somebody else there. What about 10? And God said, all right, Abraham, if there are 10 God-following people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I won't touch it. And Abraham said, got it. A few hours later, God destroyed both places. Sodom was not destroyed because there were 10 too many wicked people. Sodom was destroyed because there were 10 too few God followers doing what they should do. If God judges America, and Billy Graham, I, I don't say this, Billy Graham has said for decades, if God spares America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Billy Graham said that, not me. But if God does bring judgment on our nation, it won't be because the people who don't follow God are not behaving. That's a known fact. It'll be because those of us who claim to be following God are not following God. I'm asking today for me, as I love America and I love our city and I love our nation, I'm asking for me, what does this mean to me? And I'm hoping that that you ask that. And I know that I may have lost some of you early on because you're saying, I just don't think that we should talk about such things in church. Where else are we going to talk about them? Where else? Would you just pray with me? And I'm not going to even lead you in a particular prayer. I'm just thinking right now, could we just pray a prayer of consecration and just say, Lord, help me, help me to be the kind of person I should be, the kind of person who has wisdom, the kind of person who keeps his commitments, who is a man of God, a woman of God, a young person of God. God, help me. I assure you, New Spring Church is totally committed to staying on message, and we are committed to being salt and light. That is why we do everything we do. Would you just take a moment to pray and say, God, help me, please. I want to pray one more prayer. Jesus said, what does a person profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Hey, guys, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to lose his or her soul. That's why God went to the ultimate cost to keep you out. In fact, Jesus took your punishment for you. There's no reason for you to take it. If you would like to accept his gift for you, That's how you get into heaven. It isn't by joining a church or being good or learning rules. It's by knowing Jesus. And if you've never prayed to invite him into your life, you can do that right now. I'm going to pray a prayer slowly, and you can think about the words. And if you mean them from your heart, you can repeat them after me. And God will hear your prayer. If you want to use your own words, that's wonderful too. But if you're ready to invite Jesus into your life, here we go. Jesus, I know I've done wrong. But I believe you died to pay for what I did wrong. I ask you to forgive me, save me, change my life. Thank you for keeping your word to me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me when you came in today, you got a worship folder. Part of it's detachable. If you just prayed to receive Christ, would you put your name and address on there? I have a gift I want to send you. It's a, just a packet with some DVDs and great stuff to help you know what it means to really know Jesus. You can see a little picture of it here at the in the bottom. If you've just prayed to receive Christ, put your name and address on there and just check that box. You can detach that and then drop it in the offering bags or the boxes by the back doors. If it has your name and address, I'll mail it to you. I know we're crowded today, but if you have just a few extra seconds, if you just prayed to receive Christ, you can take this packet home with you today. I'm going to point right to the middle doors. There's two zones beyond that called New Spring uh, Store and Guest Services. Either one of those, you can just bring the card up and say, hey, I prayed with Mark, and they'll give you the, the packet that you can take home with you today. Guys, thanks for being here today. We start U times two Easter. Can't wait for that. So be thinking about that and. uh...